This is where I swear a lot, is it? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> this is the Namine Solar Light Company's podcast, Solutions for Climate Revolution. My name is Francesca and my guest today is Rowan Byrne. Rowan is an expert in marine biology and has a love for sea life, the oceans and the coasts. At Muck McDonald Consultancy Group, you are the marine technology technical lead, principal marine environmental scientist and project manager and marine plastics lead. You spent four years in Dominica looking after giant leatherback turtles and working with the local community, helping them understand and appreciate their ancient, magnificent beasts, like Rosalie, who I hope to hear some more about later, and they can, so they can protect them and continue your incredible work. You have made TV and radio appearances, and I believe you have won awards not only for being an environmentalist, but for your marine photography that can be found on your website, marinecreatures.com and you are working to help us all leave a plastic-free legacy. Before I jump in to ask you about your work in marine plastics, I must, ask, I must ask, I saw your comment on LinkedIn about the diver who was touching the big but beautiful, scary, deep blue lady great white shark that has gone viral. You said you know from first-hand experience you shouldn't touch sharks. It's all about respect. What was your experience? I am intrigued. And excited to know. Um, it was really with a, a lemon shark, a baby lemon shark we were tracking in the Bahamas. And um, and you forget sharks can turn very quickly. It's like saying if you grab a tail of a dog, he'll turn around pretty quickly. And people also sometimes grab wobbly gongs and tassel sharks and stuff as well. But they can move really, really fast. And it, it's uh, I was holding a shark. When we was first told how to hold a shark. And obviously you have your finger looped over with the tail in between and then you have your hands, your other hand just below the pectoral fin. So you have a good grip on them like this. Uh, you can't really see, but uh, it's um, essentially when I picked it up, it, it just didn't like to be picked up. It didn't want to be picked up. It didn't want to be in Rowan's hands whatsoever. And it went from left to right, really flapped about. And um, it banged off my inner thigh, but uh, it didn't do, it didn't bite or like that. But um, it's, uh, it's very, very, most, it's, like this was, only a, this was only a yearling. This was like a newborn with an umbilical scar on his chest. And um, it was strong. It was big. It could turn fast. I'm a big, slow Irishman in the water. This thing can move faster. Um, and, I, and that's why when I see, when I see, I see conservationists, and I'll put that in inverted commas, um, the, the, the only thing I've been ever taught is that when you go diving is you take the trash, you take pictures and you leave bubbles. Um, and that's the way it should be. Um, and you have signs and you don't need, in, well, I'm getting on a bit, but in this day and age, everybody needs to document what they're doing. And they need to just, I suppose, share the news, if that's the right way to put it. But sometimes experiences don't need to be shared because they're just personal and to be honest with you when you're swimming with a, a great white shark a shark that's existed for hundreds of millions of years who is the size of a minibus who regardless is, is in gestation or pregnant or has fed is still going to be curious if you press the wrong buttons and need really to swim along with it uh, i mean the only person who wins here is well there's nobody who wins here if i'm being honest people will think it's okay to jump in the water with a big fish like this. And nine out of 10 times, it could be fine. 
Um, but at the end of the day, that one time that person gets injured, the shark gets maligned. The shark is the bad person. The shark is the bad species. And we also have to remember that we can change animals' behavior by the way we interact with them. So that shark will become accustomed to the noise of boats, the noise of people, the noise of engines, the activity, the splashing, and they all learn through condition. And, and I, I know when I've, I've been in the water with sperm whales and, and, and lemon sharks and different species of sharks and leatherbacks, and more and they're just we are just don't belong there we are small little critters that evolved from the sea oh company you know and we were there but we we just need to we, we just need to be mindful that that's their domain and how we react has an influence on them science in general when we monitor things and when we study things we change the behavior of them temporarily if not long term so i am <coughs> I, I won't say i don't like to see that it has its place but touching the shark not really a good idea. It doesn't serve any purpose to 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 um doesn't serve any purpose to for conservation of sharks. It just shows that touching them is okay, and it's not. It really isn't. Um, you don't see people doing that with giant sperm whales. You don't see people doing that with saltwater crocodiles. You don't see people doing that with picking up a, a small seahorse. You just don't do it. And and we're guests in that environment, and that's the way we should behave. Beautifully said. I think it's. It's that respect element that I think is so yeah. important that I feel like social media and the, the thrill that we can get from posting something novel is almost taking away from the awareness that has so thankfully come into more mainstream thinking about what we're putting in the bin to make so it doesn't go into the ocean. So there's, it's such a learning curve for, for everybody as a whole. And it's thanks to people like you who spread spread your knowledge and, and the awareness that we can know about things like this. Can you tell us about Rosalie and your experience in Dominica? Oh, we'll be here for a while. Uh, <laughs> in, uh, oh, many years ago, 20 years ago now, I, I will say one last thing actually before we move on to the sharks. Um, the star of the show is the shark. It's not the person who touches it. Okay. That's the most important thing. The star of any, any conservation is the animal. It's never person behind it. It might be the driver, or it might be the catalyst, or they might be the important link, but it's always the animal, number one. Um, but mo moving on, uh, uh, Rosalie, uh, oh yeah, well, in 19, what was that? <laughs> and, uh, for about five or six years, I, I worked in the Caribbean in, in Dominica, the Commonwealth of Dominica, Linda Lester Antilles, and the first year I was there, I co-managed a project with a friend of mine from the Bahamas, and our job was to establish a baseline of the nesting sea turtles that nested on the island and the very next day I arrived they arrived in the evening from Antigua the very next day I arrived I did a morning patrol because we didn't know the nesting activity so I went on the beach on my own wandered in a glorious beach black sand volcanic beach um none of this white sand Dominica is a heaven it's 365 rivers on it, it it's covered in forest it's got cicero parrots it's uh it's got crapo, which are a special type of amphibious frog only found there. It's got loads of cool stuff. But I, and I found all that out after many years. But the first morning I was on it, and I hit the beach, and it's a huge surf from the Atlantic. It's very spray of salt in the air, you know, wild sea grape everywhere, you know. And, um, so I'm walking down the beach, some bits narrow, some bits uh, uh, completely uh, wide and flooded. So anyway, and I see tracks in the distance. But before I see tracks in the distance, I got, a, I got an odour in the air. And I was like... I just, that sounds like something's dead, if I'm being honest. And it was. <laughs> it did. And it didn't smell great. And I got there. And um, 
Unfortunately, there was two dead leatherbacks having been recently poached the night before, probably hours before. And, and then one of the most striking things of it was, um, and this it probably, it probably moves me even more, was it, with the way leatherbacks you know, store sperm and, and they, 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 they self-fertilize uh, in the intermittent days between each internesting period of 10 or 12 days. It generally nests every 10 days. And they could nest up to seven seven times to 12 times in one season. So a single female can reproduce hundreds, 100 or 120 eggs each time it goes to nest. So that could be a thousand eggs from one female. Anyway, I remember, I remember looking at the carapace, which you turned upside down and the, and the innards and the viscera were there. Um, and I could see undeveloped eggs and I could see a, a, a developing eggs and I could see yolks, I could see all sorts of stuff. And it was quite, it was quite upsetting. Um, uh, but it actually, you know, for my first day on the job, it actually gave me them as much motivation as they ever needed to create change. Um, and uh, thereafter, that season, while we were establishing the baseline, the years after that, I was there for six years, the years after that, there was no poaching on that beach whatsoever, 100% clear, because we worked with the, we worked with the council, we worked with the police, um, we worked with, uh, I, remember, <laughs> I remember trying to introduce myself at a bus stop at about eight o'clock in the evening, um, just as you do in the community, uh, lots of people hanging around a bus stop, probably a bit too much, bit too much rum. Um, and who's this white boy here? What's he doing? And blah blah blah. And we were having a bit of laughing from Ireland, and just trying to just trying to win the people aboard and let them know who he was. And then they were saying we eat turtle all the time. And and anyway, long story short, five years later, I found myself on the BBC Caribbean World Service with the Prime Minister of Dominica, um, and we literally turned it around. Many many stories in between. Um, but Dominique is a phenomenal place, a great place, super people. I've had, I had wondrous experiences there, rescued many ladybacks. My nickname was, was Rusty because the name of the project was Rosalie Sea Turtle Initiative. And um, I won't do a, I won't do a, 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 a Caracan accent, but it was like, hey, Rusty, man, what's happening? And they just knew me and I painted turtles on the, on the, on the van I used to drive. It was Toyota Hilux and everybody knew me. And yeah, which I, just, I just wanted to really wind the clock back from poaching activities to successful nesting and we did and while I was there I met Johnny Depp and Kira Knightley and Alan Bloom and they all went to the island a couple of years later and they did parts of the Caribbean two and three and um, amazing. it was just it was a bit of crack like you know and yeah. you're sitting there with Orlando Bloom and his mum and his dog he took from he uh, took from Mogadishu when he did when he filmed um, Black Hawk Down wow. um, and you just, you know, I mean, I, I, I can't, I wouldn't swear, but I, I'm not too bothered about who they are. You know, everybody was like, oh, my God, that's you know, and I was like, if you're going to film on the beach during nesting season, you have to obviously be very mindful of existing nets and this and the other. So they invited me to the set and we got to meet everybody and ended up having, um, there was one, there was one time I wish someone was there with me and I had a camera because Everybody uh, was in full gear. All the they were shooting a scene where the um, black pearl they etched, they, they they built the scaffolding of a black pearl into the beach, and they CGI'd in the rest. And um, everybody was in costume, and all the pirates, everything you see in the boat, everything. And I here I wander up in my, in my billabong flip flops and a sea turtle t-shirt, and I'm chatting away to them when they're when they're off camera. And and it was like we had Martin Kleber, who was the um, the smaller pirate, and we had some of his other friends as well, Mackenzie Crook, and all those guys. And then, but they were all in gear, and I was like, I thought to myself, here's an Irish fella talking to a lot of pirates about how not to eat turtles. Edgy with sea turtles. I mean, I just wish I could have stuck it outside myself and taken that picture because it just 
ridiculous you know i love this image in my mind they were, yeah. they were very interested very interested and um because no the island for six or seven weeks and yeah no it was very good I, i'll say one thing marine biology has um i've traveled a lot i've been to 18 or 19 countries and worked from, from the falklands to the south pacific but i'm, I'm very lucky very very lucky um uh, but uh, it does it does it does <laughs> it does introduce you to some mad characters <laughs> sorry rant over no, it's just wonderful to hear what you get up to when you're left to your own devices. It's just, it's a joy. Oh, I, you should never leave me on my own. I'm terrible. <laughs> no, it's fabulous. I, the, the plastic free conference that we met at in 2018, it's, um, it's, it's up there with some of the top ones I've been to. It was just an absolute joy to be there. You did so well. And I hope to be able to come to but, some but more. But everything went wrong. Is that the one you mean? <laughs> <laughs> a few yes. things went wrong. It was fine. Yeah. Everyone was happy. There was coffee. There was tea. Uh, Gavin Thurston, the, the um, cameraman from Blue Planet 2, which was amazing. You brought incredible energy. and It was just, it was fantastic. Could you speak a little bit about your plastic-free legacy? I believe there are four steps. It's to regulate for low plastic economy, keep manufacturers involved beyond the point of sale, embrace the circular economy, and incentivize customers. You probably have to remind me. You probably have to remind me them because I sometimes just I, just I sometimes think of them as a sort of a, a circular process mm. where we we look at the problem, we analyze what the problem is, and, and I, I'm a big fan of saying before we can manage something, we need to get a measure of it. So mm. I like to get a measure of, of of where things are at, what how big the issue is, how big the problem is, uh, and then get an idea of what I can do with this, working with partners uh, uh, and working in a circular fashion where you're closing the loop. Um, so I'm, I'm very keen on establishing the baseline and then finding out who, um, who could be involved with the project after we found the baseline and who's are not already involved and then take from there. I mean, one example would be um, in, uh, after, after the conference, it was just it was a great conference. We met loads of great people. You know, David Attenborough's uh, near private uh, cameraman, Gavin Thurston, was there. He, 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 has, he has a new book out. It's really good. Everybody should read it. Um, Gavin had maybe buy three copies, but that's enough. Um, but, uh, no, it's, it's, what, what I'm trying to do is, um, is try and get, connect people together, bring people together. Um, and, and the example I was going to say was like in February, what's 2020? So in February 19, I went home to Dublin and I, I grew up in a, in a, in a harbour called Hoth. And um, at the conference, we had the Seabin, uh, we had the Seabin represented. For those of you that don't know the Seabin, check out the seabinproject.com. It's excellent. Um, and I'm a big fan of technology and how we can use technology and plastic solutions. So I was home in February 2020. Um, I went to see some friends. And as usual, when I get home, my friends are like, stop talking about plastic, quiet about shark, <laughs> just how's life and what have you. So I, um, I was in the harbor and 30 odd years ago, uh, when I was a child, uh, going up to the harbour, just asking the fishermen to see if they had any jaws or any sharks, they'd give me a dogfish. And I could see what plastic would, would gather in the corner of the harbour. And um, so I'm up there February 2019, and I thought, is plastic still in this corner? This is ridiculous. This is February 2019. We shouldn't have things like this. Um, so um, I went home that evening, and I said, uh, I said, fact this, I'm going to do this crowdfunding project. And I managed to raise about two and a half grand in a couple of weeks, I got on to my friends. My friends are very supportive. All my friends have grown up now, uh, and uh, I think one of the reasons they they funded was just to keep me quiet. Um, and that's fair enough. Um, and then I went I went back to my employer, Mark McDonald, and said, "Look, we have a situation here where we have a good solution for a problem that's easily recognisable. Um, I'd like to find a way to address this. I've already raised over fifty percent of the money. Can you help me out?" And they said, "Yeah, no problem." Uh, and I was like. 
Oh, that's great. Thank you. Uh, so, to be short, we put a C-bill in place on August the 21st after we saw the need, after we identified the problem. Um, and uh, up to January last this year, 2020, it had collected six tonnes by volume of plastic from the, from the, from the harbour. Huge amounts, huge amounts. And old plastics, plastics mm -hmm. from the 60s. And that shouldn't really be in there because the harbour's only about 40 years old. So I don't know how they got there. But we different times of the year when plastics get disturbed with storms and things like that as well. And we found milk bottles from the 70s. Uh, and, and the only time you'd find any of these milk bottles now would be in, would be in uh, old milk floats that are actually in the Irish National History Museum. They're not even on the road anymore. No. So we found loads of plastics and we started to establish a baseline. And then uh, Panda uh, Recycling uh, in Ireland uh, got in contact and said, we'd like to help you out with this. So it's all part of the circular stuff. And I said, yeah, no problem. So we put a second one in Hope Yacht Club in November, and that's doing the same. So what we're trying to do is um, build up a baseline of the plastics in a particular harbour. Then we are putting the, we analyse the plastics down to polymer level, identify which they are, and we're getting a database of the type of plastics found in a harbour. And it's working really well, and uh, it's community driven. Um, we had the community who paid for, for the majority of it. We had lots of media interest. We had tidy towns. We had uh, corporate. We had Motley Donald Ireland. Every month, well, not during the pandemic at the moment, but every month, uh, two of my colleagues go out there and they sort through the bin and they get a detail of what's everything's there. So we're starting to build a baseline. And we submitted to the CBIN Global Database as well. And my aim is to publicize what we've done in a year. Well, it'll be probably a bit longer now. COVID, but um, we publicise what's there. But we're then taking the plastic to the Irish Fisheries and Irish Fisheries Board, and they also analyse it as well. And the aim with, with Panda Recycling is to, um, when we have enough plastic, because the, you know the, the sea bins, it's not a, it's not, a, it's not a, it's not a, a huge vacuum. Uh, it will take between two to twenty kilos of waste a day. But it's worked over time. It's cleaned the water. We found rope. We found plastics. We found um, this is the best part. We found. Um, uh, packaging, we found cigarettes, we found florets of uh, broccoli, don't know why, we found Del Monte's Mr. Pineapple, or pineapple from Del Monte, the man says yes, we found um, biscuits, we found loads of, we found plastic bottles, milk bottles, foil, um, hydrocarbons and, and sort of oil and petroleum cans, but mostly rope, fragmented rope. And the other cool thing that we're finding out is that in amongst the seaweed that are traps, which is natural because seaweed floats, there's plastic in amongst the seaweed. So there's a, another aspect of this as well, which I haven't seen in literature yet, was that plastic, uh, seaweed is very important for, for coastal biodiversity. And now you're having the infiltration of small plastic fragments in the seaweed. And it will either be assimilated into it, depending on the type of seaweed, or it will, it will actually damage or, or, or leach actually and damage the seaweed. But there's a lot of issues there as well, which you need to investigate. So it's, it's opening new doors, but we're taking the plastic that we've got, we're recycling the plastic, we're making the waters cleaner, we're establishing a baseline. We've got community involvement. Um, it's a solution based on a problem we've we've uh, we've found, and um, it can only be replicated really. Um, and uh, that's why I, I like to work with different people from the conference who had uh, all the technologies in order to to build on this. And you know, they say what well, you know you can't make. A, <laughs> I couldn't make a, can't make a joke about that. But yeah, you, a man can make it. You can make a change if you really want. You just need to just crack on. I don't hang about. I just get on and do it. To be honest, it doesn't always work that well. But you know, rant over again. Sorry. No, you're not ranting. And you're so incredibly productive and proactive in all the incredible things that you believe in. For young people out there who maybe live on the coast and would like a sea bit, and how could they go out and source one? 
and how much money would they need to raise or fund or find sponsor for? Well, the first thing they could do if they're out near the coast is enjoy it. <laughs> it'd, be it'd be a fantastic. I used to go to the coast when I was a kid and just look for jellyfish, potter about, look under crabs, look under rocks, and that. But enjoy the coast. It's phenomenal. It's good for your mental health. Take some time, relax, just take it easy. Uh, and the sea is such a such a great influence on your life. Um, and, I, and you know, I live in Cambridge now, but uh, and I don't get to see too often. But enjoy the coast first thing. Second of all. If you go to the coast every now and again, pick up some plastic, pick up some rubbish, bring it home with you, um, and uh, maybe start to build your own database of the different types of plastic you find on your beach close to you frequently, um, and get an idea of what sort of plastics are coming in and where, where they may be coming from. They might have an identifier on them. Be careful handling plastic, obviously. Uh, you are, make sure you've got all the appropriate PPE, gloves, and stuff like that. Uh, and make sure you have an adult, or, you know, if you're, if you're young enough, you want to get there. But be careful, but at least pick up the plastic. Um, second of all, um, or third of all, Ask, work with local businesses, work with local community groups, work with your friends, work with your parents. Um, you know, if you're going to bring the dog for a walk, if you're going to go down there, um, see where there's other people who can help you. Maybe you can, once or twice a year, you could have a, a beach cleanup. You could uh, register with the Marine Conservation Society and all the big organizations that have these annual beach cleanups. You could register as a volunteer. Um, you might be able, I see in some coastal beaches in Wales, if you go to the beach, when you could go to the beach, actually, outside of COVID, um, it, the businesses say, we, we'll supply you with the, with the bags. And if you collect enough plastic, we'll give you a free cup of coffee. I mean, they're, they're, and then they're, most of the time they buy a cake because you have to have a cake and a cup of coffee. Um, so you, you start to bring business and you start to bring people together. There might be grants available from your local community yeah, and your county council. Ask them if there's any local grants available or is there any charities that uh, have any volunteer uh, database who'd like to come on board. It's, it's really up to you. It's really up to you. You don't, you don't have to stop. You know, the, the only limit to a very clean... Uh, super duper beach is, is your own is your is your imagination just 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 get on and do it if you want to do it and the sense i will say when you turn things around and you see it on see the sense of you see the sense of um enjoyment or the sense of pride or fulfillment on, on other people you know they've done a good job and you've just helped it i mean it's uh, it's really cool it's really cool so i am um, yeah i mean we need you need a bit of money so talk to local businesses do what you can yourself, you know, be careful, always be safe. Um, uh, and you'll find that grants are available, businesses are interested, um, but uh, there's a solution to every problem and you can be part of it, really. Beautifully said again, that's wonderful. I think there's, there's so much I think that we could all be doing and I think it's the key is to work in collaboration and to make sure that we're all superimposing to become a positive force for change in, in the areas making sure we're dividing and conquering so i think there's there's so many amazing things that i mean i i would love to just go i'm in dorset and i'm not too far away from the coast i hardly ever get there but it's um oh it's just i totally agree with you and want to yeah just completely agree with you and say that there's yeah go to the kit go to the coast and enjoy it because there there is no finer thing than sea air. Yeah, it's the best it's the best feeling in the world on a winter stormy day waves crashing and uh, and 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 it just it just makes you feel alive. It's um, yeah. it's great. It was part of my I when I grew up in Ireland that I was by down the coast every day, and I just absolutely love it. It's just brilliant, and I find myself uh, you know, th th there's that old joke about anger management when you go ooh frappa and you drop down. I get that when I'm in like a hundred miles and I can smell the sea from the coast. Yeah, I, I just chill, and it's um. There's, and he's just the other thing is you just don't know what you're going to find on a beach after a storm. You could find fossils. 
after a storm, you'll find some cool stuff. You know, stuff might wash ashore. And there's always that element of, of surprise, what's going to turn up and what's going to be in the flotsam and jetsam. And, but you see, I mean, I, I get stuck into it and I'm looking in the flotsam and jetsam that's on the beach and I'm looking for the little isopods and amphipods and things that are in it as well and just little critters. And, and it's great fun. You know, it's really, really interesting. Um, it might not be for everybody, but if, 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 nobody, if you take nothing else from this, if you do go to the beach, enjoy it and just take the rubbish you see on the beach with your home. Beautiful message. If marine plastics, nanoplastics especially, are so, I mean, we know that they're in our water, we know that they're in the food chain, we know that fish eat them and we eat fish and then it gets concentrated in, in our bodies when we eat the fish. What can we, what can young people, what can we all do, in your opinion, that minimise this negative impact on, on the ocean? Well, number one is to stop the flow of plastic, turn the tap off. Mm. Um, Sadly, we've underestimated the true impact of plastic and the amount. It's colossal. It's absolutely colossal. I mean, plastic was invented uh, over 100 years ago. You know, we had Bakelite a bit more. And there's, there's more, you know, there's more plastic that goes into the sea every day and every year, um, which is just mind-blowing. And it, 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 it's, it's hard to get your head around. So what can we do? Um, so what we can do is we can make sure the plastic that we use, we're consumers when we buy them or our parents buy them, is recyclable. If it's single use, try to reduce your single use use of plastics. Um, put the onus, leave the plastics where if you bought something in a supermarket or shop, don't you don't need a plastic bag. Uh, you know, you could leave that plastic wrapping and material there. I mean, Mother Nature has made fruit with its own protective barriers on it. It doesn't need to be wrapped in plastic. Um, try and buy or influence your parents or your friends or try and buy things that just don't have plastic in them. Um, the best thing here is if we can stop the plastic even entering the food chain, entering the, uh, the, the circular economy, entering into the skips or going into the landfills or whatever it goes, that's the best thing. Um, if that can't be done to a certain extent, um, the best thing is to do is recycle. Now, recycling is very important, but it's not the only answer. So we have to reduce your, 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 your amount of plastics. We have to recycle what we can. We have to reuse as much as we can within reason, but don't, use, don't reuse single-use plastics because the name's, the hint's in the name, single-use. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think because I'm having a Coca-Cola bottle, I keep using it. Not really a good idea. Um, but you can look at alternative products. You know, there's many tin, there's many bamboo, there's many uh, glass uh, bottles out there you can use, or even high-density polyethylene plastic, which are designed to last. Um, but essentially, stop, stop the flow. Um, the other thing you can do is... Um, Make sure that uh, the council, well, along with you, make sure your friends and family are doing the same. You can have a, you look at your managing your plastic footprint. Um, in the same way people are keen on managing their carbon footprint, manage your plastic footprint. Maybe keep a plastic diary. See what plastics you use in a week. See what plastics you use in a month. And then go, right, I don't really need to use this too much. You know, um, how many toothbrushes? Every toothbrush anyone's ever owned still exists. It, unless it's been burnt. Um, so you can look at alternatives like bamboo toothbrushes. You know, there, there's just, it, it only takes a moment to sit down and think, where, where you know, look around, you can see, where's all the plastic? What can I do with it? Now, I, I, I will also say plastics is very important for our sustainable future. It's not, yes. it's not, it's not the enemy. Absolutely not the enemy. It's part of our future. It's, it, brings so many benefits it's such an important thing it's just how we sadly abuse it and, and that's why we need to stop so as david attenborough said today and many times don't create waste that's the number one thing 
um, try and reuse sensibly uh, within your plastic footprint uh, of what you uh, of the plastics you use. Get familiar with the type of plastics you use. You know, you know, do you need to keep buying single use? Maybe you can buy a multiple, um, but maybe you don't need to put plastic at all. There's alternatives. But um, uh, it, it is a, it is a sobering thought to think that every plastic ever made uh, still exists unless it's been uh, recycled or burnt. And there's millions and millions of tons of it, and sadly most of it's in the sea. So I'm a big firm believer in the power that power that people people can play. Um, and it starts at home, starts at your friends. Get an idea. I'm being very scientist now, but you get an idea of what your baseline is, and then you can manage it. It's no problem. Such good advice. It's the it's the awareness and it's self awareness. I think about yeah. Yeah. And um, when I went zero waste, I, I literally just started collecting all my plastic from October last year, and it started off in a small bag on top of my fridge, and it's now, it's 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 not that big. It's like a I'm pretty chuffed because I've been cutting out my plastic for for years, and especially after after the conference in 2018. Um, what do you? What are your thoughts on the oil industry and how much we're going to and our future reliance on plastic because I know single-use plastic is the thing that's really bad and it's not single-use plastic that is going to be really that's going that's what we're going to rely upon a lot in the future are we are we lacking what are we lacking to get there faster is it the circular economy is it the manufacturing to to create this closed loop circle where things that have been used go back into the system and then they're broken down to make new products how, how's this going to work as the oil industry looks what it looks like it's starting to kind of ramp down how's this going to affect supply well the oil is an important commodity plastic mm -hmm. as you know it's extracted from the ground in order to provide the, the sustainable resource or uh, for to generate the plastics um, and a lot of the petroleum companies a, a large a large amount of their uh, we call it gdp a large amount of their uh, finances actually come from from oil like that not so much from the petrochemical side of things but mostly oil that makes plastics um it has a, oil has a part to play hydrocarbons have a part to play we also have to remember that hydrocarbons are actually from the sea and they're millions and millions of years old of marine critters that have broken down and they're, they're a, it's a natural product it's a natural product how it's refined and changed and chemically altered that's a different thing but at the end of the day the oil industry is part of the solution it's also been part of the problem part of the problem has also been lack of investment in solar lack of investment in renewables lack of investment in in other alternative technologies and we should have done that sooner so um i think it has a part to play we we'll probably have to find a way that we, we can uh, we can recycle and reuse and actually uh, when we when we when we make a product a plastic product made of oil we have to look at its end of life we have to know we'll say Right, we've designed this for disuse. What's going to happen when nobody wants to use this anymore? And that's where sometimes we fall. And that might be an industry, that might be an area where the industry who helps provide the raw material to make these products could say, uh, if they're being sent to bottlers or if they're being sent to molders, whatever it is, people who mold plastics um, or manufacturers, what are you going to do with this? We could take this back off when you're finished with it because we could use it. So it, it, it involves... I think the expression is it's cradle to grave thinking, where you're looking at something you've designed and, and the end of use of life. So the oil industry could help. It's a resource that won't have changed too much, depending on how it's molded, um, could be reused because plastic can be melted. We At, at the conference we mentioned earlier, there was um, uh, an entrepreneur who had plaswood, which is basically wood style made from recycled plastics. So, you know, there could be the catalyst there. There could be the catalyst of returning it back to the manufacturer. Um, 
in order to reduce pollution, to close the loop, um, to uh, keep people in jobs and make sure that the resources is used. Because like, you know, plastic can be recycled, certain types of plastics, seven to eight times. Um, and don't forget, blast, glass, if we went that route as well, is infinity. Just mm. infinite is a word I'm looking for for recycling. So there must be some way of matching the producers with the consumers, with the end users, and then bringing it back to uh, the um, manufacturers again for reuse. And that's, that could be, it doesn't have to be the manufacturer or the actual um, uh, designers, but it, it, it's bringing it all together. And it can be done. Um, so I think oil industry has a part to play um, in, in the point that it could help think about more where its end products will go and what they could use it for and um, um, how it could be used better. That's taking the emphasis of the consumer doing something about the product that they, what the packaging that's come with what they were really buying and actually putting more emphasis on the manufacturers of, of, of the plastics and making sure that it's all of us involved in this next phase of, of circular economy and how we're going to manage what we're using, what we're wasting, what, what we'll be reusing, reducing and recycling. Absolutely. And, and of course, the, the other side of it is, if uh, me as a, a, as a consumer, if I see a product that I know is part of a circular economy and be returned to recycling and, and, and in a closed loop, I'll buy it. Mm. Bias. I mean, you know, you talk about co uh, corporate social responsibility or just so social responsibility. You talk about ethics, you talk about um, uh, just just fundamental aspects of, of, of improving the environment. I'm a huge fan of trying to leave the environment in a better way than I found it. And if I found a product that like, you know, you have... Um, uh, you have the uh, Forestry Commission uh, certificates of wood, you've got the full source there, you've got the whole evidence trail, you've got um, marine fish certification, you know, all this sort of stuff. I mean, I'm a fan of those things. And, and, and when you can see where your food or the material has come from and where it's going, and you know it's not going to landfill or waste or fly tipped or whatever it is, um, you, uh, I won't be on the side by that. That's brilliant. Yeah, there's... Um... I've just I had a conversation earlier today with someone from um, Ethical Consumers, and there's a website that they're creating this online toolkit to help um, consumers, concerned consumers, understand where they can have the greatest impact in their purchasing. So it's environmentally, socially, and all that all that jazz. It's just been used them for a couple of years. And incredible. Um, is there? Do we need something like this around plastic, like a fair trade, like a, a circular economy sign? Like, would that be useful, or do you think labelling is just part of the problem because it's so confusing and people don't know what the symbols mean? Like, what is your? Well, it, 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 you, you are right, yeah, Francesca. You are right. It is confusing because um, the seven or eight or eleven or twelve, depending on your classification. Uh, tells you about the different plastics and the plastic industry is doing a lot to sort of educate people as regards to what number one means, what number two means, what the circular, what, what the, the triangle means and what the different types of it is. And in, in, in Moths, we, we do that as well. We, we buy the printers, buy the recycling, let people know what's what and how you can use. And of course, if you realize one plastic is more recyclable than the other, you probably, if you need to, you could buy that one. Uh, some of them you can, some of them are generalized. So labeling is an important thing uh, and, and people understanding. So it's education as well. If people understood that more plastics are easily recycled more than others, then there's a chance to do those. Um, but I think labelling is a part to play. Education is fundamental to it. Um, and uh, if you, you know, if, if people are, if 
people have more information they can basically make an informed decision on what they want to do until then it will be based maybe on lack of knowledge or it'll be based on economics or what the money is in their pocket um, but if you can find a way then to get more of the recycled plastic that's like easily recycled, like the high density polyethylene plastics, the stuff that's in your hard hats, the stuff that's in, uh, um, I can't think of it now, um, the stuff that's in the, um, just like uh, the hard plastics you'd find, um, God, I don't know. I like can't a think Tupperware of, box or something like that. Yeah, that, that's mm -hmm. perfect, thank you. Um, that sort of stuff. And, and you know it can be recycled, you know it can use it multiple times, you know it's a little bit more expensive, but over the life of the product, it will cost you very, very little. Um, there's socioeconomics, there's behavioral change behind it, there's environmental benefits, um, there's financial benefits, um, there, there's a lot more to it. So if you, can, if you can understand a little bit more about the plastics and more recycling through education and also through the labeling and classification, if we make it simpler, it's always good. Keep it simple, stupid. Absolutely, I was just thinking that. If we can keep it simple, and then the message is repetitive, and you keep it going and keep it going. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm probably going off the topic there a little bit, but it's uh, if labelling and education is a big part to play, because the more informed people are, the better decisions they can make. Absolutely. Is this something that McDonald has done already, or is it something that's in the pipeline? Could you talk a little bit about what you're working on at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Mark McDonald has um, uh, designed a, uh, a plastic audit tool. So one of the things that we do in all our offices um, is uh, we manage our plastic footprint. So first of all, we decided, well, what is our plastic footprint? Well, well how much plastic do we use? Um, so we, we put together, it's nothing. I, I'm happily share it with your users. There's no problem. Um, it's just a template where um, you, you just go and it's just a spreadsheet. It's no big deal. It's not rocket science. And you just put in the things that you use and then at the end of it it's a bit like a plastic diary and then you find out what you use at the end of the month the end of the week and you're like oh well that's a lot but that's not enough and you get an idea so as i said many times you, before you can uh, manage something you need to get a measure of it so we're getting better so moss has been doing that for a while and it, it's amazing in some offices we found we didn't use much plastic at all we were like oh that's a lot of plastic <laughs> um, you know, and, and things like this so you, you're starting an idea so already there's quick wins where you can change would i won't say little effort but, but you know not much of a challenge um we have a number of research projects um working with our clients in anglian working with our colleagues and clients in anglian water where i'm a big fan of plastic capture um trying to capture the plastic before it moves its way into the arterial systems of um streams and rivers and things like that before it make even before it leaves the roads and um we're looking at uh wastewater treatment works and the type of plastics that go in there we're looking at plastic capture projects with the environment agency in milton Keynes, and uh, we're also working obviously with the sea bin and hoax and establishing the baseline there but it's again it's stopping the plastic before it hits hits the streams it hits the rivers hits the sea and um, establishing that baseline even down to the the small um uh, nano, well, not, not so much nano, but micro level, less than a millimeter cubed. Um, and you can identify the type of polymer it is. And this is where your previous question about the classification comes in, because you get to see what types of plastics there are, because there is, there's only so many. So you get a chance to see which ones they are. And then you go like, where did all this come from? Who put this in here? So you start to think about where's this going. And then we've seen in the wastewater treatment works, we've seen a lot of wet wipes. And wet wipes are, the, are, are synonymous with people putting them down the toilet. We even found one of the stickers in, uh, that well, I was doing, the, the, I was going through the skip, and I even found a sticker that said, do not flush, that came off a wet wipe packet. And they're like, it says, do not flush. Why yeah. does it 
Why do people don't read this? So, and I, we also, I also found a tenner, two tenors and a fiver. So, Amazing. yeah, so people are, uh, people are flushing money down the toilet, um, <laughs> yeah. which is pretty crazy. And the other side of that is, and this is where it starts to lead, is you can begin to see a pattern of the different type of plastics, the different types of packaging, the different types of polymers. And you're wondering, how has this got here? Who put how did it get her? What was its route? And, and I know I joked about the money earlier, but the, the money we, the money I found was the normal polymer coated uh, plastic uh, money that we, we introduced a couple of years ago. And yeah. It began to break down. So we already had microparticles of or nanoparticles of plastic that was coming off money uh, and into, leaching its way into the marine, into the water, which works its way through. So Got plastic coming from everywhere, isn't there? Pretty much, we're a plastic society, and the thing is, we can change. It just, we just, we have to change our behaviour, mm. and, and we have time. And as, as I said, as, as Mr. Uh, as David Attenborough said, it's about waste. We don't need to create waste. We just don't. I think about before you buy, and I know probably a bit off the topic, but over the, I, I, I can tell you that over the last month, recycling companies I've spoken to are so so busy because people bought a lot of food during the last number of weeks. And I was described to me that um, every week Rowan is like Christmas week because Christmas is really busy and everybody's buying stuff. And uh, at the moment, we're really, really busy because we've loads of stuff people are actually getting rid of that they didn't need. Mm. And waste. So if we look at the ways that to reduce the waste, it'll have a less impact on the environments as well. So And then emissions and more. So I think I've been hearing much more in the last kind of few months it's um, behaviours are very much driven by beliefs. And I think there's this belief that convenience and that life is stressful and that I, I must have that because it's easy and I can just throw it away and I don't have to think about it. I think there's, I mean, to a certain extent, I must have had this, this belief until I went zero waste. I don't know, because you don't, you don't think about the things. In, when it goes in the bin, it goes in the bin. And I think there's this, this, this belief of, of convenience and it being an absolute necessity to to what I suppose what used to be modern day life before COVID-19 and now I guess that's kind of shaken everything up now which we don't really know what normality or the status quo is going to be like when we eventually get back to to what we call inverted commas normal life so there's what could you how can you how can I phrase this what better beliefs about single-use plastic and how people can shop do you think will be able to frame the world that we want to live in if that makes sense I kind of um so so is it a case of um uh when you when it, how how can you have a less having to have more of an impact by using less mm. and, and focusing on using your beliefs to drive that is that it i, mean, I think so yeah my my belief my, I mean, I suppose speaking per, uh, personally, my belief is to is to is to leave a better legacy, leave a better environment, enhance the environment where I can, and um, you know, l leave it in a better place. So I'm, um, I'm, I guess, if you have, you know, you have your beliefs. I'm just trying to think now, um, and everybody's entitled to them and act the way they want in that regard. But of course. Yeah, uh, try and always question your beliefs, I suppose. Um, I'm a scientist, I always ask why, and, um, and, and get other people's opinions to, to make your own beliefs 
be shaped up and be more defined and, and be more confident in your beliefs. And then, and, um, but always try and look, see, see, the, see people from the other side, look at the other side of the coin. Um, but your beliefs are, um, are important and, it, it, you know, never defer from them, but at the same time, always make sure you have other people's opinions on board and, um, you know, encourage your conviction and then, and then move it forward. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one, really, because everybody's entitled to different opinions, but if you can, when you can, always take the other opinions on board and then use that into ways to channel, to, to reduce plastic and, uh, and, and get a bit more education behind it so your, your beliefs are not only your own, but they're informed. I love that. Always asking why and getting a, yeah, the, getting a broader sense of, of yeah. everything, I think, is vital. That's just fabulous advice. Thank you. That's helping me in my, in, in, through my journey. Just so that's understand, understand more. The more you understand mm. people. I mean, empathy is a great thing. Put yourself in other people's shoes. Mm. Try and understand. Um, and the, the, there's a thing that I like, and it's, um, it was a saying. I don't know where I picked it up. But, um, uh, be grateful for what you have. Uh, and so gratitude is a new attitude. I love that. Yeah. Gratitude is, yeah. Growth mindset and a, a, yeah. Yeah, gratitude attitude is um, things that I'm trying to introduce into my life every day as well. It's, it's, it's important it's to, and it it's, does. It's hard to see sometimes, but, you, you know, mm. you know, in, in pandemic situation that we're in now, you know, we have the luxury to be locked at home where we have running water, roof over our head, food on the table. You know, it's not really that bad. I think, yeah, there's... Um, We've, I think we're learning to live probably with, without a lot of things that we thought were maybe necessities before and now we're actually like, oh, I don't need that. And I think it's, I have every confidence that it's going to be an incredible shake-up for, for people and planet. I'm, I'm buzzing to see how we're all going to come and thrive and flourish out of this. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's exciting but scary. Can you talk a little bit about what you think will be the evolution of single-use plastic. Do you think it's going to go more towards biodegradable, plant-based, or do you think it's going to be a circular economy? Is there anything, any insight that you could give there? It'll probably be a mixture of all of them and more, uh, because there isn't one single answer. Uh, there's a there's a portfolio of answers here uh, that all have a part to play. Recycling won't save the day on its own. It's impossible mm. to do that. Um, design from cradle to grave or from, from start to finish to from single use down to end product and recycling is important too as well. Um, alternatives, the um, uh, uh, sort of biodegradable uh, and, 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 and sort of um, substitutes for this as well are important. It's, um, you definitely can't tag it on one specific item. The circular economy is a big part to play because the less linear economy we have, the better. It means less waste. Um, there's more recycling, closed loop scenario. Um, uh, but I think it's, it's really design, it's consumer choice and usage, it's having the infrastructure and the, the circular loop in place in order to facilitate this. Um, there's, there's really, and there's probably more solutions out there that we haven't come across yet. Um, there's technology is a big part. I mean, there's, there's gold, the gold mine, there's one way of looking at it, there's, there's future opportunities and that would actually be with landfills. Um, landfills are actually the gold mines of the future. I, yes, I'm so happy you said that. Sorry, interrupt. Please carry on. Yeah, fine, if I, they are. I read a book, um, The Power Struggle or something. It was about this thick. It was really thick uh, a couple of years ago, and and um, and I thought the technology isn't there to recycle the plastic in the landfill already, but it will be in a couple of years. Um, and and I thought, you know, maybe I should buy all the landfills. That'd be great. Just love loads of money in that. The grant. Um, but 
there is an opportunity there. So there's probably solutions moving forward that we haven't seen yet. And don't forget, even though plastic, uh, the high density polyethylene and the recycling plastics that are there, it can be reused. So it might be sat in the ground for a while and it might have degraded a little and it might have leached the environment, which isn't good, but it's still an opportunity to reuse. So maybe we don't need to um, go to the ground now and, 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 and uh, extract new oil for new plastics when we have a ton, tons, hundreds of tons, thousands of tons of it in landfills where we can use technology to do that. So there's, there's solutions to be had moving forward. There's solutions now. Maybe we should just look at the past and see what works when we kept it simple. Um, when we had glass bottle deposits going to the, to the houses, we didn't need plastics. And maybe, maybe we just need to think about, you know, the convenience aspect of it and a sense of ownership. My father instilled me many years ago. He said, if you're going, if you if you want something, you have to work hard for it. And when you've worked hard for it, you appreciate it a little bit better, as opposed to being given to you, as opposed to just being quick and easy and not having any ownership or stewardship towards it. So I am, I'm, yeah, I think, I think there's a number of solutions already in existence. Technology complements those. There's a, a lot of good research going on that's showing us all the new issues and the new problems. But I think solutions are still to be had, and, and the circular economy plays part of that too as well. Amazing. I, I love this idea of mining landfill. I think it's um, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And it's it's I just I can't wait for it to start happening. I believe it's already happening. I think it may be Berlin or, or Belgium. Very good. It's, per, it's, per, it's logical. It makes so much sense. It's just yeah. a, a resource of everything that we've ever used and will need again in the future for us to just for the take-in, it's just I think it's I'm, I'm yeah. surprised. It's, I mean, I guess the technology needs to be there and the infrastructure. Yeah. And stuff. Um. It's just a massive opportunity. It's huge. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> Can you, could you talk a bit about what gives you hope for the future? What's your light at the end of the tunnel and what is scaring you? What, where do you feel that there isn't enough, enough light being shed on where there needs to be more, more push, more awareness? Ah, oh, it's a great question. Uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Well, light at the end of the tunnel would be reversing the UN's a uh, recent UN report that there'll be more plastic in the sea than fish by 2050. So I'd like to sort of switch that around because we're putting more plastic in the sea and extracting more fish. So in actual mm -hmm. fact, children of the future will go to aquariums that will probably be full of plastics rather than fish, uh, which I'd like to reverse that. But light at the end of the tunnel is probably in the, the people who have the light bulb moments, like the people, the, the young chaps who invented the sea bin, uh, the, uh, the, the satellite technologists coming about, the researchers in the University of Exeter and all the different researchers around the world who are finding out these key areas of where these plastics go. Um, the, uh, the community leaders who are really trying to do their best in little tidy towns. Um, and, and I think, um, I don't know if there'll be, I think there's many lights and they're, they're starting to get brighter and brighter, if I'm being honest. Um, and um, I'll do what I can to help them, and I think everybody else should as well. Um, because I think the big thing to do is just stop the plastic getting to the sea in the first place. And make sure that you, you know, you're aware of what the plastics you use. Try and be less wasteful. Um, join, join volunteer groups and talk to people or families or friends or start your own Facebook group or, 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 or Twitter, uh, Twitter storm or whatever you want to do or TikTok and, and start to get the message across. Um, but I, light at the end of the tunnel is probably the same ethos from the 2018 uh, conference, which was everybody has a part to play and everybody's solution should be supported as best you can and, and give everybody a platform to, to, ed to educate people on it. 
Um, but um, it's a bit of a tough one, but we are moving forward. We do have a few setbacks, but we are moving forward. Um, and I think for me, it's about technology. It's about getting the message across. It's about reduction of the plastics we use. Um, and, and, and just as I said earlier, plastic isn't the enemy. It's absolutely not the enemy. Um, and it's uh, using it wisely. Uh, and that way we'd have a more sustainable, cleaner, cleaner future. Uh, with less hydrocarbons, uh, fuel, fossil fuels, more solar, renewables, and alternative energies. Um, I mean, I just, if I had the money, I'd put solar, some photovoltaics all across the uh, Sahara Desert. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd put them, you know, I'd put them across wherever I could find a bit of space with the sun. And I'm I no, I, I leave, I leave the, 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 the photovoltaics and solar stuff to you. I, I, it's not my sphere, but... Isn't isn't there isn't there enough sunlight that hits the earth every day to power power lots of things for about ten years or something? It's it's ridiculously um, frustrating when you yeah I think there's this amazing um, image where you can zoom in on um, the Sahara Desert from space and you see this um, little square patch um, that starts to get sort of bigger and bigger as you go closer to the earth. But it's um it, this square patch of the Sahara could yeah, run all the world's electricity for. Absolutely, I mean, it it's, makes, yeah, it's it's mind boggling. Nevada deserts, uh, Arizona deserts. Uh, mm. God, I, well, you know. I exactly. It's um, yeah, solar is. Uh, <laughs> solar is. I know. It's yeah. I have. I mean, you know, my love for solar. It's um, it's like your your love for the marine world. It's um, it's infectious. No, you can't decouple it from yourself, can you? And it is the solutions we see so plain as day. And I think there's so many more people are, are becoming aware. And it is, it's so right. It's, it's, it's understanding awareness. It's, it's, it's seeing things. It's constantly questioning. And it's, it's about doing the best that you know that you can. And I think, and trying to inspire, inspire others with, with, with your actions. And I think it's, it's so easy to, to point the blame on governments and companies. But I think at the end of the day, the thing that really matters is how you feel when when you go to bed at night when you're thinking like okay how is my how have, how have i impacted the world today has it been positive has it been negative and going forward i think it's um i don't want to freak anybody out when i say this but the responsibility is now on the individual to yeah. do that work to understand how they are impacting the world be that yeah. change exactly i just i be love that, that i love that saying be the change and it's just mm. you certainly are being the change that we all wish to see in the world and it's just it's always just such a joy to talk to you and such an honour to have you on. <laughs> oh, that's all. It's, you know me, I'm shy and I don't like to talk and you're listening. <laughs> ages ago, your man never shuts up, so I do apologise for that. No, don't ever apologise. Your, your wisdom, your words, your knowledge, your expertise, your, your energy, your passion is just infectious and it's just, it's just wonderful and we need more Rowans in the world, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> we get, <laughs> and get one on every coast and then the world would be fine. I, I, don't, I I, I think probably one's enough. Uh, my friends will be going, oh, don't get more ahead. <laughs> 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 oh, no, it's wonderful. Rome, thank you so much for your time. It's just been an absolute joy to speak to you and hopefully have you on again over the next couple of months to find out what Mott McDonald's doing and what you're doing in your personal journey with marine creatures. And yeah, just to keep, keep touching base with you to find out and yeah, spread the awareness of your incredible work. No worries. But look, thanks for the opportunity, Francesca. And uh, if ever I can help you know where to find me, there's no stress. Oh, that's just wonderful. Thank you so much, Rowan. Take care and stay safe. No, no worries. Take care. See you All later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.